Thank you, Reggie. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the time of worship we've already enjoyed. And God, as we take a few moments and dive into your word, speak to our hearts, God. May we be, uh, may we be open and attentive to hear, God, what it is you have to say to us. Your word tells us that when it's spoken, when it's read, when it's preached, that there is always something we can glean from it. And we pray we'll do that tonight. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Reggie and choir, for that beautiful uh, message and music. How many of you ever meditate? Get in your yoga stance and hum. Um, Zach, you do? Call me the next time you do. We want to videotape them. You meditate, whether you realize it or not. Meditating is dwelling on something. I've shared this before, but it's worth hearing again. Uh, one of uh, a great Bible scholar explains meditation as a cow chewing its cud. Now, many of you are agricultural people, or maybe you don't know this, or you do, but a cow has a special ability to eat some grass, to chew on it, and to swallow it. Okay, that doesn't make it special, does it? And then later, it can bring it back up, and chew on it again. My question is, do the calories count twice? Uh, I mean, and wouldn't that, if they don't, wouldn't that be neat? Wayne, what are you eating? Ah, oh, the Fritos from lunch, uh, you know. Maybe it wouldn't be neat, but, uh, you know, just, just a thought. Meditation is like that. Meditation is taking something in, it's chewing on it, it's swallowing it, it's, it's making the trip from your head to your heart and then bringing it back up on a regular basis and chewing on it some more. Well, tonight we're in 1 Corinthians 6, the last verses. We looked at 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 1 through 12 two weeks ago about not suing your neighbor, and tonight we're going to talk about something that, man, is really, really, really worth meditating on. Here's the first thought, and this is the big thought this evening. Everything kind of springs from it, but as a Christian... God lives in you. If you're a Christian tonight, if you're not, you can become one before the evening's over. God Almighty doesn't just live around you. He doesn't just live beside you. God lives in you. In verse 19 of chapter 6, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. Romans 8, 9 is a verse you ought to memorize. It's a verse of tremendous theological significance. It says, you, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit of God. If the Spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. Oftentimes you'll hear someone say, well, I was saved at 10 and at 14 I got the Holy Spirit. I think I know what they're saying. I think I know how to translate that. But the truth is, you got the Holy Spirit when you got saved. If you don't have the Holy Spirit in you this evening, you aren't on your way to heaven. If that verse is correct, okay? 
So that a lot, that, that's a pretty important verse. It's a verse worth memorizing and learning. In verse 19, it says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you go, well, my body's the temple of Twinkies. Well, it may be, but if you're a Christian, it's also the temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, here's a great, great concept. The temple in the New Testament is defined with two different words. One word was the temple general. It meant the temple area. It meant the, 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 and the temple area was several different areas. There was the court of Gentiles where all of us who were non-Jewish people in, in could go. Then there was the court of women where Jewish women and men could go. But if you are a non-Jew, you could not enter that area. Then there was the court of men where only Jewish men could go. And then there was the holy place where only pr- the, the priests could go. And then there was the holy of holies where God lived and the high priest went once a year. Okay? That was called the temple. Now, the holy of holies, the most sacred place, the place where God lived, was also called the temple. In the New Testament, there are two different words. I was giving you this. That's four. But two different words. One was the temple general, one was the temple of the Holy of Holies. The word used here in verse 19 is the Holy of Holies. Here's what the Bible said. If you're a Christian, your body is the Holy of Holies. God lives in you. Billy Graham, in his book on the Holy Spirit, says so succinctly and so correctly... The Holy Spirit is God. Anything God is, the Holy Spirit is. Anything the Holy Spirit is, God is. Anything God is not, the Holy Spirit is not. The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. We don't have three gods. We have one God manifest themselves in one way. And the Bible says as a Christian, you are not the temple general... You are the holy of holies where God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit lives. How many of you believe that is worth meditating on? That is profound. As the old preacher said, if that doesn't stroke your fire, you're wet, your your, your wood is wet. I mean, you're not going to get excited if that doesn't excite you. God lives in you. Jack Hiles was a preacher. Does any of you know who Jack Hiles, you ever heard that name? He was a preacher of a huge church in Indiana for years, but before he went there, he was from Texas. And in fact, he, he went to East Texas Baptist, where my parents went in the 40s, and pastored a little church, Grange Hall Baptist Church, outside of Marshall, Texas. And in the, the mid-40s, he was doing a radio show one, Sunday, one weekday morning, uh, uh, just teaching through the Bible. And in that session, as he's reading the Bible, he says to the people on the radio, God is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And the Bible says, your body is the Holy of Holies and God lives in you. He said, I'm live on the radio. And I stopped. God lives in me. Jack House said that was a turning point in his life. He was never the same after that. Probably everyone in here knows who Charles Stanley is. Charles Stanley's a prolific writer, pastor of First Baptist Church in Atlanta, Georgia, for many years. 1958, he was at Southwestern Seminary, which has been proven to be the greatest seminary of Southern Baptist seminaries. By the way, that's where several of your ministers went. And 
he was studying the Holy Spirit. He had grown up reading in his Bible the Holy Spirit was an it. It was referred to as an it. And as he, as he began to study, he realized that that was not the best English translation. The Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit's God. He is a he, not an it. And it dawned on Charles Stanley that the Holy Spirit is God and that God lives in him. And he said from that day forward, his life was never the same. I want to tell you this, this evening, if you and I, you want to go deep, you want to get profound, you want to be changed, start chewing on the fact that God's not only around you, that God is in you. Years ago, there was a preacher in Philadelphia named Donald Barnhouse. And on Sunday nights, he would, uh, he would often have a Q&A. He would stand at the, the pulpit with an open Bible, and he would answer questions. And in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, a huge city, uh, he said that it began to draw a lot of people who would come in to try to ask him things to stump him. And one evening, he was standing uh, asking questions, and a young man in the balcony, we'll say his name was Ed, he asked a question. He said, uh, Pastor, how did the children of Israel wander around the desert for 40 years and always have something to eat, always have something to drink, their clothes and their sandals never wore out? How did that happen? Donald Barnhouse was silent for about 10 seconds, and he said one word, God. Everything was silent. And the young man said, oh, I understand now. And Barnhouse said, no, you don't. <laughs> you don't understand how God lives in you, do you? The God that created the heavens and the earth, the God that spoke the world into being, the Jesus Christ who died on the cross and arose from the dead, you don't understand it, but you don't have to understand it. Amen? You accept it, you embrace it, you meditate on it, God lives in you. Someone said in, in seminary, this is very theologically significant. And my, my response to that was, duh. But you know, more than being theologically significant, it's personally magnificent. God lives in you. God lives in you. And this correlates, it's interesting, it correlates some with what we talked about this evening. Let me give you a couple of thoughts that this that this brings about. One is it means great power resides in us. If God is in us, by the way, the question there is, is, is twofold. If you're a believer and if you believe the Bible, right? Verse 17, look what it says. <clears throat> excuse me, verse 14 first. But, but the, his power, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead. And he will also raise us in verse 17. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. You, you hear what he's saying here. And, and you put all this together. He's saying, look, it was God and it was the Holy Spirit who brought Jesus out of the tomb. Okay? You agree? Roman soldiers, disciples stole him. Swoon theory, he was just knocked out and he woke up, pushed the 4,000 pound stone away and walked. No. God the Father and God the Spirit brought Jesus, and he's saying that power resides in you. Fairly profound, isn't it? Remember what I said this morning? You don't remember probably, so I'll share it again. Paraclete is the Greek word for the Holy Spirit. 
Paraclete was a warrior partner for a Greek soldier. Let's say Reggie and Andy are going to battle against the warriors from Monroe. They're going to meet in Calhoun and duke it out. They're going to go into battle as battle partners. Their job is not only to fight for their country, but to to protect each other. And so that Reggie always has Andy's backside, and, and Andy always has Reggie's backside. He's his paraclete. He's his protector He's his buddy. He's his warrior. And, and the Holy Spirit is our, is, is our buddy. He's our power. He's our protector. He is God in us. And, and folks, again, you think about, like what I said this morning, if you got God in you, you got the power to meet whatever you face. Correct? Okay, great power resides in that. Here's the third thing. Great assurance. Rest in this. Man, have you thought about this, the assurance that rests in this? You don't have to raise your hand. But I know everybody in here gets lonely. I know everybody in here uh, struggles with fear. You struggle with doubts. Try swallowing and meditating on the fact God lives in you. Verse 17, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one in spirit with him. You know, I believe my whole Christian life, I learned a couple of verses early on about that God will never fail you nor forsake you, that God is always beside me, but God is not only beside me, God is in me. There's no place that you will ever go that God's not going to go. He may not be happy where you're going sometimes. And I found out that's a great way to know if you're a Christian because when you take God somewhere where he's unhappy, he's going to make you unhappy too. You ever notice that? It was just the strangest thing. After I got saved and I went into the same bars, they weren't near as fun as they were before I... You know why? The Holy Spirit was just not having fun in there for some reason. The positive side of that is God's in you. He's with you every place you go. What are you looking for to build your confidence and self-esteem? I know what you're looking for. You're looking for more money more power, you can be in control, you can run things, more prestige, more success. How about resting in the fact that that the God who created the universe is inside of you? Lauren Hill is a singer. I don't know much about music, but she won a Grammy Award, which means that she has been fairly successful. And this was in 1999, and they asked her, it was Rolling Stone, which, by the way, if you don't know, is not a Christian magazine. Rolling Stone magazine, they asked her about her beauty. Now, to me, she looks pretty there, doesn't she? Here's what she said. She said, I do not feel pretty because of my physical makeup. I feel pretty because God lives in me. Isn't that great? I don't feel pretty... Because I have on what I have on the outside, I feel pretty because God resides in my heart. Think of the assurance and the comfort and the security. Not that you don't need human friends. Not that you don't need a dog. Every Christian needs a dog. Atheists and women need a cat. I love cats. I'm so I, I do. I just tease them. I just tease them. Christians need a dog, though, that's for sure. 
But boy, you got God in you too. You see, if God lives in you, and he does if you're a believer, you got great power, you got great assurance. But let me give you another thing that's a little more disconcerting. You got great responsibility too. You great you got great responsibility. Now before I dive into the meat of this, I want to read verse twelve and thirteen. Because these are verses that could get people in trouble. I wish I would have known these in high school because I would have misused these to my parents. Everything is permissible for me. Wouldn't that have been great to quote to my father when I'm 15 smoking a cigar in my bedroom? Hey, Dad. Yes, and he would have said, spare the rod and spoil the child. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and stomach for the food, but God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Now, apparently, this may have been a contemporary proverb of this day. Everything is permissible. And Paul is not saying because early on in chapter 6, he just got finished hammering hard, homosexuality, adultery, slander, idolatry, all those things, and said, hey, by the way, if that's who you are by nature, and how, you're going to hell someday. So obviously not everything's permissible. I think he was talking about the things that, that especially a Jewish person 2,000 years ago converting to Christianity would have struggled with, what they ate, because as a Jew, they had certain things they were not supposed to eat. And now in Christianity, they were told they could eat anything, which had to be great. Now you can eat ham and pork chops. They couldn't eat that before. But he's saying, hey, you've got to consider, as a Christian, it's probably not ham and pork chops for us. It may be whether you have a glass of wine out someplace or a beer or how you, where you go or what you do. A lot of things may be technically okay, but they may not be the best things to do what he's saying here he's not saying everything's okay because that would be completely against what we're fixing to see i think this goes back a little bit to the god in you too that if god's in you what's technically legal may not always be the best thing to do not only for those around you but for the fact that god resides in you but then he jumps into the meat of this he jumps head first into sexual sin and here's the thing he tells us, sexual sins are really powerful. I I really struggled whether I needed to preach this on Sunday morning because there's just a lot more people here. But we got a lot of young ones in front of me and we got a lot of medium ones around and some of you who may not be medium anymore, you've got kids and grandkids that you can pass on and you'll have to judge for yourself whether you're medium or not. Corinth was very immoral. If you think of what Corinth was like, think of San Francisco and Las Vegas on steroids. Okay? It was, it was a rough place. In fact, the principal deity was the, the goddess of love, Aphrodite. And in Corinth was a huge temple for the worship of the goddess of love. And I'm not exaggerating or making this up as bizarre as it's going to sound, but as a part of the temple worship was prostitution, paid for and provided by the tax money of the city. Can you imagine that? And as a part of the worship at this temple, you had sex 
with the prostitutes or anybody and everybody. How many of you agree that's a fairly tough culture to be a Christian in? Okay? And this is the culture that he's saying a lot of these things that I'm fixing to say to you. So again, it's like I said this morning, Paul never writes from the ivory tower. tower. Paul doesn't Paul's not talking about theory, God through Paul. He's talking about real-life stuff, okay? And, and he lays out some things here that, boy, uh, are, are, are very, very important. You know, he, he was in this, this wonderful good stuff about God lives in us, and now he's fixing to jump into some real hard stuff. But this is just as important, Okay? Here's the first thing he says, sexual sin is a sin, it's a sin against your body and, and in your body. They are sins against your body, not only against it, but also in it. In verse 16, do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. Look in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Okay, if this makes you a little uncomfortable, I'm plagiarizing. I'm just sharing with you what God wrote, correct? Okay. If you think that that this doesn't apply to you, First of all, if you're under 60 and you think this doesn't apply to you, slap yourself and wake up because the devil smiles at people who think that they're above it, okay? 90% of the people next year who end up having an affair and busting up their lives sit smugly tonight saying it'll never happen to me. I guarantee you that's right, okay? Sex, it, sex was created by God. Do you know that? I I didn't grow up thinking that. I thought it was the devil. (laughs) I mean, really, growing up in in my church, the only thing you heard about sex is don't. (laughs) And that was a mistake. Because that's not what you hear at school. I mean, back when I was in school, that's not what you heard at school. That's not what you heard in the neighborhood. So you learned all about sex in the wrong place. Sex is a wonderful thing. In, in a marriage between a husband and a wife. It, it brings together the greatest intimacy physically, not only physically, but psychologically, emotionally, spiritually, everything. What God says is when you cheapen sex and when you experience it with anybody and everybody, you are, you are having intimacy that God only meant for you to have with one other person. There's no such thing as just saying, oh, it's just sex. It's what God's saying. Yes, gluttony and alcoholism are something you do to your body, but sexual sins are something you not only do with, in your body, you do with your body is what God says here. Y'all are awful quiet, which is good or bad. And he says here, he goes, look, young people, not so young people, when you make a choice to be sexually involved with somebody, You are tying yourself up physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually with that person. There's no such thing as it's just sex. There's no such thing as just casual sex. 
There may be casual relationships or careless relationships, but God lays it out pretty, pretty strong here. And you say, well, what defines sex? What would be sexual immorality here? Sexual immorality in the Bible, it would be defined in several ways. One, adultery. Adultery is when a married person is involved sexually with someone that's not their wife or their husband, okay? Fornication is, is when a person who is not married is involved sexually with someone. Homosexuality, you, you, I don't really need to define that, I don't think. That's when a man and a man have sex or a woman and a woman. Now, I'm not going to go into detail, but back in the late 90s, our goofy government, we had a huge sex scandal that you had to be Rip Van Winkle and been asleep during the 90s to have missed where one of our leaders in our country was involved with a person that wasn't his wife. They were not involved in full sexual acts, but they were involved in sexual acts. And one of the things they said, oh, that isn't sex. Yes, it was. Yes, it was. It doesn't have to just be intercourse to be sex. And God says, get a hold to this. When you involve yourself with someone else, and it starts right here, by the way, doesn't it? Lust leads to behavior. You're tying yourself up with him. You are sinning against your own body. Okay? Here's the, here's the second thing. You sin against God in you. Ugh. That doesn't sound good, does it? Verse 19 again. Excuse me, let's start with verse 15. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ, my body, and unite it with a prostitute or with that boyfriend or that girlfriend or that secretary or that boss? Because you're uniting yourself with them. In verse 19, don't you know that your body is the holy of holies where God lives? Who is in you, whom you've received from God, you are not your own. I heard Charles Stanley say this. Read it in one of his books years ago. Stuck with me. Man, it's, it's tough, but it's powerful and right on. You commit adultery, you're married, you have sex with someone who's not your spouse, you're a young person, you're a single person, you commit fornication, whether it's in a car or in a house, you commit homosexuality, and you're a Christian, you are taking God into that adulterous, homosexual, or fornication relationship with you. You take God into that filth with you. How many of you agree that ups the ante a little bit? Man, I wish this would have been beaten in my head when I was a young man. Just saying don't's not enough. Saying that God lives in you and that you're dragging him as a participant with you kind of turns my stomach. I want you to think about this, and we'll have fun with this, I hope, because we're not having fun right now. 
if you lived with the conscious awareness Jesus Christ was here all the time, which he is, but if you live with that, how many of you would behave differently? If you wouldn't, come down tonight. We need to make a decision. Or, or you're perfect. Come down tonight and make a decision. How many of you would behave different if your mom and dad were handcuffed to you 24-7? Yes, you would end up murdering them. I understand that. And the courts would let you off, wouldn't they, Reed? Yes. Reed raised his hand, by the way, on the murder thing, Patrick. If your husband and wife were chained to you 24-7, yes, you would end up divorced. Yes, you would end up without an arm at some point. But how many of you would behave differently? You think there would be any affairs if the husband or wife was, unless you're really sickos, no. No. Hey, honey, let's go in here and look at this. Bam! You would, you would behave a lot differently, wouldn't you? Hopefully that'll never happen, but God's, God's with you every step of the way. Let it change you, is what he's saying here. Let it transform you that God is with you and God is in you. You see, I think he's saying these hard things about sexual sin here. One, because they're absolutely true. Two, because he's trying to affect behavior. He's trying to change behavior. Verse 18, this is a great verse. Every, every person ought to memorize at least the first part of it. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. That Really, the, the verbiage here is not, okay, I've ran away from sexual sin one time and I'm done with it. Got away from her. Man, got away from it. Never look at that stuff again. No, it's constant. How many of you would like to go out tomorrow and run two miles and be in shape the rest of your life? How many of you actually believe that's possible? <laughs> Andrea, there's no help for him. Wouldn't it be great if it's possible? The problem is, and the terrible thing is, you've got to keep running until you go to the funeral home, don't you? And you run to keep from going there quicker, right? See, it's the same way with sexual sin. You don't flee at once. You flee at the rest of your life. Look, young people. You, you ladies, you, you single people, you men. He doesn't say talk about it, discuss it, debate it. Run from it. Run from it. Some guy tries to take you in a place you don't need to go. Tell him no. Run from it. Some girl's trying to get you involved with something. Don't debate. You're not strong enough to win that argument. Run from it. Run from it. But always go back and remember, God's in you. That ought to scare you straight. But that also reminds you, you got the power to lick anything that comes your way. Remember what I said this morning. It's not what lies in front of you or what lies behind you that's the main thing. It's what lies within you, and that's the Holy Spirit. That's God. Christian, this evening, I want to challenge you to meditate, to live with the fact God lives in you. Let it change you. Christian, maybe you need to come tonight to the altar and make a recommitment of your life to Christ. You come and do that in a moment. Maybe you'd like to join the church, or maybe you'd like to just come and pray 
with a minister or pray at the altar. Maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian, and tonight you want to seal that deal with God. Let's stand, and whatever God leads you to do, you respond to Him this evening.